you will be making your way to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Grateful you're here with us tonight and uh, hope you have a great week as it comes up. We've started it right. We've been with God's people twice today to start the week off right. So maybe, maybe it'll be a great week this week. So grateful you're here. I'm not a big fan of those uh, post-conference games, uh, post-game conferences, I should say, where um, they'll bring somebody in from the ball game and set him in front of a microphone and start asking him all sorts of questions. They are some of the dumbest questions anybody's ever been asked. Uh, That 2-2 pitch, you hit a 2-2 pitch for a home run. Could you take us through that at-bat? What were you thinking when that pitch was coming? Y'all, that pitch was coming at 99 miles an hour. He had less than one second to decide what to do with it. The guy was thinking, holy smoke, I hope I can hit this. That's what he was thinking, and he swung the bat as hard as he could. Then next week, of course, you know what they're going to do. How do you feel about having won the Super Bowl? Oh, I don't feel too good. I'm a little bit draggy tonight. What do you think he feels about winning the Super Bowl? I would probably ask that dumb question, perhaps. What we have in 2 Samuel 22, it seems to me, is a press conference after the battle that David won. And he won many of these. He'd go into battle, he'd go in, he might be outnumbered, it might be a very uh, nail-biting type of uh, experience for him. And then after the battle was over, this is what he would have said. This would have been the press conference after the battles that David won. But the question I would have asked, if I were to be able to ask him a question, is what advice do you give to other people trying to fight the good fight. When you're trying to engage in the battle that is the Christian life, what advice do you have for us? And these, I think, are the answers David would give. It's in 2 Samuel 22. This, y'all, had to have been written long before this time. Uh, We're at the end of David's life. These are some of the final kind of like papers thrown in of his memoirs. And yet it's about the victories he had over Saul earlier in his life, but it's also over other battles, as it was read a moment ago. But for some reason, this is a great culmination. This is a great conclusion to the David material. So it's like this is typical of David's response when he won a battle. And here's answer number one. It's from last chapter. Gather a great number of good, like-minded warriors to fight with you. This is we're carrying over from chapter 21. It's not in chapter 22, but chapter 21 and also in chapter 23 where it starts labeling all these, naming all these great warriors that David had around him. Make sure you have good people fighting with you. If you want to fight the good fight and you want to get to the end where you can say like Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, make sure you have a good army of warriors fighting with you. Then we turn to chapter 22. Here's a psalm that David wrote about his victory. And here's the next piece of request he would, or a piece of advice he'd give. Put your trust in God completely. Notice verse 2. The Lord is my rock. That's a word often used of, of, of God in the psalms. The Lord is my rock, he is my fortress, he is my deliverer, 
my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. Any questions about how important God was? Anybody? Over and over, the imagery is this. My key to victory is the God I serve. He is my safe place, the shield, the rock, the refuge, all that stuff. It's not my last resort that I rely on when everything else has been exhausted. He is everything for me. So that's his first thing. He says, I, I want you to know God is with me, and I make sure that God is, is on my side, that, I'm, that he is everything, and I turn to him for everything. Then, then the, the third thing he would say, second in this chapter is, Always begin, always continue, always end with prayer. So you look at verse 4. I'll call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. I will be saved from my enemies. Has anybody heard that before? Anybody heard this recently? Let me say that again. And we're going we're gonna to put it with verse 47, so be ready. If you have to turn a page, we're going to put these together. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I will be saved from my enemies. Verse 47, the Lord lives, blessed be my rock, exalted be my God, the rock of my soul. Maybe this will help you. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock. Okay, everybody heard this before? This is where we get our song. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So David says, I'm going to start this by requesting God to intervene for me. And then you look down at verse 7. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From his temple he heard, and my cry came to his ears. I know when I call to my God he hears. Do you know that for sure? Do you know what happens when you absolutely know for sure your God hears? You're more willing to talk. You're a whole lot more willing to pray if you know he hears and does something about what you say. If you're one of those people, you're not certain God does anything with your request, doesn't that kind of inhibit you from going to him? Wouldn't you be more reluctant to pray if you didn't think he does anything about it? So David says, first of all, I want you to know God is every, I trust him in every way. He's the protector, he's the defender, he's my offense, he's my defense, he's everything about, and I call to him, I call upon him, and he hears me. Now what happens when this happens? What happens, when, what happens when you do this? Look at verse 5. These are, these are very descriptive phrases that we even use today. This is not literal. This is poetic, remember. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. You get this, right? I was drowning. That's what he's saying. The waves were all around me, overtaking me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. I was drowning. The cords of Sheol, the grave, entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I was about to die. Very graphic language. And then again in verse 7, and in that distress, when I felt like I was just drowning, when I felt like the grave was claiming me, I cried to God. Now notice what happens. This, this is better than any Avengers movie this is better than any Superman scene. Beginning verse 7, or verse 8. 
Then, after the trouble came and after he prayed to God, it says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. He bent heaven to come rescue his servant. You get this? He bent heaven. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and he flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him as canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows, and he scattered them, lightning, and he routed them. And the channels of the sea were seen. He rode upon the sea, y'all. The foundations of the world were laid bare. And the rebuke at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of the waters. There's a song in Caleb about that, it's beautiful. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God responds to your prayer and rescues you. Now, he doesn't move heaven and earth. But when you've been in trouble and he rescues you, it feels like he moved heaven and earth for you. It feels like he rode the wind and he came in like a superman and rescued you. If you've ever had that experience, you've ever had those moments when you really felt like you were gasping for air because you were drowning and you were surrounded by things that were just going to take you down and suddenly somehow you come out of that and you know that that you prayed and your God is the one who rescues you, that's what it feels like. That's what happens when you pray. That might bring up a third thing that David would say to you if you're wanting to fight the good fight and win. He'd say, well, I'd say he's got the army. You've got a good army around you, and you've got God as your support and your strength, and you pray to him. You cast it on him. This is where it turns to what should I be doing. David says, verse 21, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he rewarded me. Now you've got to be careful with this, because it sounds like David's saying, because I was such a good guy, God saved me. It's like my righteousness rescued me. It's not what he's saying. He was saying, I just did what God asked me to do. I, I, he just asked me to live for him. He just asked me to respond. He just asked me to be faithful to him. And that's all I did. It wasn't what saved me, but that's all that he required of me. All he asks of you is to do the right thing. That's what he asks. Now, what is that? And he says it. Verse 22 is the first one. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not wickedly departed from God. Keep the ways of the Lord. If you ever want to know what should I be doing in this circumstance of my life, you should always be doing the right thing. It's never wrong to do the right thing. If you want to know what should I be doing in this, do the right thing. Live according to the ways of the Lord. Well, I just don't know what I should be doing here. Live 
the right way. Don't take the shortcuts. Don't listen to the advice that would say, well, in this circumstance, because that person was so mean to you, you don't forgive them. That is never the way of God. Now, we, you explain that to me and what they did to you. I'm going to look at you and say, yeah, man, that's terrible and you shouldn't forgive. But don't listen to a person. What do you know you should always do? Always forgive your enemies. Always. That's always the way of the Lord. So that's what he says in verse 22. His rules were before me, and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt, and the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the clean. I've just kept myself in his will. I've just done what he asked me to, and he gives me the victory. Now look at verse 26. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. Be merciful. Be a merciful person, a person who extends grace to other people. With the purified, you deal purely. There's pure. So keep yourself pure. If you want God to deal with you right, you be doing the right thing. Verse 28, you save humble people. Your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. Be humble. There's this passage in the New Testament that reminds me a lot of this. It's, it sounds, I know it sounds like I, my, my righteousness saved me. And I know you could look at it that way, but that's not what David is saying. But listen to first, I think I put, did I put First Peter 3 on? I did not. I'm going to have to repeat. I'm going to have to do the old-fashioned thing and move all the way into the New Testament and read this to you. And if you want to go with me, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. We have a similar statement, and it's funny because it's really a quote from Psalms. Is First Peter after James? Yes. All right. Verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. On the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He's not saying by living this way you earn good things. He says by living this way you position yourself to be blessed by God. And here's what he said. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. How many in here would love life? Would you like to love life? Would you like to see good days? I mean, that's all of us, right? Keep your tongue from evil. Your lips from speaking deceit. I tell you what, you want to avoid the worst pitfalls of life? Just keep your tongue from saying evil, deceitful things. And you'll avoid much of the bad. You think that's good advice? I mean, that's a psalmist. Here's another one. Turn away from evil, do good instead. Let him seek peace and pursue it. So you, don't, you, you look at evil, you know it's there, you might be tempted by it, but you don't do it. You do good instead, and you seek the peace of other people, and you pursue peace. And if you are busy pursuing peace, you will avoid much of the pitfalls of life. You think that's true? That's what the psalmist says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are attentive to their prayer, and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's the same kind of thing as in chapter 22. One more thing he learned in this, and that is when, when you win the battle, remember who you need to give the credit to. When you win. Look at verse 32 of chapter 2 Samuel 22. After God has rescued him, the first thing he does, and this is what he wants, is when you give glory to God, you are amazed at him. 
Verse 32, who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge. So what he says is, first of all, I want you to act with amazement. Do you know how many times do you connect the blessing of your life with the blesser of your life? How many times do you recognize that this wonderful blessing of life is from God, and then you just kind of go, wow, there is no one like our God. That's an amazement. You shouldn't be surprised. God is very gracious. He does more than anybody even asks or imagine. We know that. But it's, it's, amazement is not about, well, that was a surprise. Amazement is, he still takes my breath away. How good he is to me. Do you ever stand that way in prayer? You ever just sit back and go, wow. You ever do that? You need to do that once in a while. Just step back in amazement. And what David says right here, who is like our God? Who is like that? And the answer is what? Ain't nobody. You can say ain't. Ain't nobody. That's right. Nobody is like our God. There's this amazement. Then the next verse says, this God is my strong refuge. He has made my way blameless. I trust him. I trust him. I gain greater trust every time he comes through. Now, here's how you can tell. The next time an emergency comes up, you aren't near, you aren't near out of sorts about it. The next time something comes up that should make you bite your nails, for some reason it doesn't. You know why? Because God's come through for me so many times, I'm not going to let this bother me much I trust him he's been he's true he's proven himself trustworthy time and time again so when the next danger thing comes up I'm not near as anxious I'm not near as antsy and I don't go running around like a chicken with my head cut off I go first to prayer instead of last instead of last I'm gonna put my trust in him I want you to skip back skip down a few verses by the way, let's listen to verse 34. He made my feet like the feet of a deer. So in my victory, I was faster than I thought I could ever be. And you think, well, I didn't realize I could run that fast. Well, maybe you couldn't. Maybe God is helping you run that fast. That's what David is saying. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. How did I pull back? That arrow so far that it went so fast and hit the spot right where it is. Now, you might be a good archer, and David certainly was. But David looks at that and says, that was pretty far. There's no way that I could have hit that target without some help. He's given God credit for some things that he experienced in war that he knows full well wasn't him. You've given me a shield of your salvation. There were times when the enemy shot at me, and it was a perfect shot, and it missed. How did that happen? There was a shield, David says. You gave me a wide place for my steps. under. There was footing for me when there shouldn't have been a footing for me. How do you explain that? Then verse 40, you equipped me with the strength in battle. You equipped me with strength. I was stronger than I really physically should have been. 
Do you think God works that way? Do you think God can give you greater strength than you naturally have? Do you think He can give you greater mental and emotional strength than you think you actually have? Do you know that we have a family among us that's going to have to make a hospice decision for their family today, this week? And they're wondering how in the world are they equipped to make this decision? Can I tell you how they're going to make that decision? Not just theirs. Somebody else helping them make this decision. That's when it gets real. We can talk about this from David and Psalm 22 and 2 Samuel 22, but we can talk about it in Valley View real life context on the top of this hill on a Sunday night. God does that work that way. And when he does, we need to register it. It needs to make us amazed at him. It needs to make us build our trust in him. It needs to make us, well, verse 47, the next one says, it makes us praise him and worship him. Because at the end of all this, when he's thinking about all these things that he experienced in the war that day, that day, all these things that couldn't have been coincidence, he says, the Lord lives. I know it because he affected me today. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Exalted be the, my God, the rock of my salvation. I don't know if it sounded like it does for us. But when David reviews that day, he's exhausted and he sits down on a rock and he thinks of all the ways God helped him in that battle. The first thing he goes is he goes, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to... You reckon it sounded like that? I know it was Hebrew. I know that. But do you think that was the tune? Could have been. I don't know, but in English, that's the tune I think of. And that's what he thinks. He sits down and he says, I, it was God who did that. And, and not only this, this praise and this worship for him. But look at verse 50. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. Among the nations. Not just in Israel. David says, I, for what you've done for me, I'm going to tell everybody. This is evangelism. Now what's interesting to me is this is one of the verses in Romans chapter 15 that Paul uses to get the Romans to help him with the Gentile mission. Listen to this. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. For as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the... That he changes the name, the word from nations. I'm going to praise him among the Gentiles. And say, Do you know why Paul believes so firmly in the Gentile mission? Because he believes that the things that happened to David, 2 Samuel 22, should be shared with the nations. I believe the world needs to know what our God's like, don't you? That's what we're here on the top of this hill for. And a couple Sundays from now, we're going to have Mission Sunday. And do you know why we believe in Mission Sunday? Because the world needs to know what our God has done for us and will do for them. That's what we need to say. That's what we need. So all you're doing, it's sort of like the John chapter 9 thing where the blind man, he sits there going, guys, I'm not a theologian. I don't know all the stuff you know, but here's what I know. I know what he did for me. And I'm telling the world, I can see now. And what we say is 
We serve a God that didn't just act back there. The God we serve acts right here and now. He's been active in your lives this week. Have you been amazed? Have you built up greater trust? Is that why you came to the top of this hill and praised Him? Are you willing to tell anybody? You think there's people who need to know that's the kind of God available to them? That's what you do, according to David. And this is what he did. This is what he did in all his battles, right? This is how David felt about every battle he fought. And that's why it's stereotypical for him. And that's why they put it. This is one of the Psalms that kind of demonstrates how he felt at every battle. It's his description after years of experiences with God. It's so powerful that this this song appears in Scripture twice. It's repeated. I say to people who are lads to leaders, these are the kind of passages you need to memorize. Why? Because when you memorize it once, it counts twice. Doesn't it? Anybody know what psalm this is? Have you looked it up on your, as it said in your Bible, have you looked at it? Anybody know what psalm this is? This is 2 Samuel 22, but it's also psalm number 18. So if a kid memorizes Psalm 18, then he's also memorized 2 Samuel 22. He can memorize one verse and it counts for two. And if he memorizes all 50, it counts as 100 and he gets his centurion thing. Just like that. That's great, isn't it? How many other verses are like that? Well, there's a few. There's a few. I think what it's saying is the people of Israel learn so much from David's experience and this pattern of this is what you should do when God gives you victory. This is what you should do in trouble, knowing God will. We want to sing it not just as David's song, but we want to put it in our songbook and sing it for us. And if that's the case, it should be in your playbook too. It should be what you sing. It should be what you do when you fight the good fight. It should be what you sing once God rescues you like this. Live in such a way as to have God as your defender and your protector and your rock and your shield and your fortress. And when someone, as Peter says, when someone asks you for the reason for the hope that you have, this is a great answer. It's an answer David gave. It's an answer Israel gave. It's an answer anybody who's a child of God who's ever been blessed by God could give and if that's anybody on earth that's us you need to respond this evening with a spiritual need that you have whether being introduced to Christ for the first time or repenting and coming back whatever is your need make it known as we stand and as we sing